Pray in preparation. Woo, there I am. Pray in preparation for the message. And uh, so let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, uh, that you'd be with us this morning, that you would um, just be in our midst as we uh, dig into your word, as we, as we talk about prayer, as we look at um, how you provide our needs, Lord, how, how you provide our, our, our daily bread, um, the clothes that we wear, the, the, the peace in the, the sanctuary that we experience, the, the protection. Lord, everything that we have, we, we owe to you. It was a gift from you. And help us to, as we discuss prayer today, as we discuss the Lord's Prayer, help us to focus on, um, on how these things are from you. Um, that that uh, that as tempting as it is to worry about them, as tempting as it is to to be filled with anxiety over our daily needs, over over our lives, that that uh, you are in control. Um, I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So uh, we are uh, talking about prayer in a very long series on prayer, and we've been working our way through. Oh, I'm all over the place here. Uh, we are working our way through the uh, Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, before we kind of dive into this, I, I wanted to talk about money for a second. I, uh, I read an interesting uh, article a few years ago, and I was unable to find it this morning. Uh, but it was a survey of happiness uh, in correlation to income, like how income affects general sense of happiness and well-being and anxiety and security and everything else. And there was an just a crazy finding, um, because I would assume, and I think most people would assume, that having a lot of money makes you happy. Um, and actually, like, there is a bell curve. A bell curve is a curve that is shaped like a bell. Uh, and, and you know, if you have too little, it, it, it doesn't do much for your happiness, right? But, like, we think of too little as in, I have trouble making my car payment and all this other stuff. In reality, too little is... Um, hey, we don't have shoes and we're starving. Got it? That is too little. And as you go up, there's a peak point where the amount of money you have, like, is best correlated with, like, happiness in general, and that is roughly the income of Eastern Europe. So Eastern Europeans that you might meet are the happiest people you'll know. (laughs) I was wondering if I'd get a laugh out of that. (laughs) Um... But after that, the numbers begin to dwindle. And eventually, when you get into the higher scales, the happiness quotient gets worse and worse because what happens is people begin to worry about money. Um, and they begin to worry about security. And they begin to worry about losing it and what will happen next. And, like, their anxiety rises as they have too much. And it's, it's very strange. I don't pretend to understand it, and I don't feel like I've experienced um, that. I, I like being able to pay my bills. Uh, but, but there is sort of this weird correlation where if you have too much, it tends to draw away from your happiness. And science says so, and the Internet said it too. Therefore, it must be true. Um, why am I talking about this? Well, because we are going to be looking at, like we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and the next little bit we're going to talk about is give us our day, give us this day our daily bread. And um, that is a, a kind of wonky translation, and we'll get into why in a minute. Um, but it, it's a really hard text to understand from where we're sitting because, um, honestly, because 
Americans throw away more food than we eat, really, at this point, right? Like we have, we have. Uh, I read a few years ago there's a there's a the government buys milk, like because it's considered to be a strategic reserve. Like if we ever end up in a war, you want to have milk, and and they buy so much milk that that they can't store it and it can't be drunk, and so they make processed cheese with it and they store it in mines that they've purchased. And so there are mines all over the country where there are like billions of tons of cheese stored. Um, why? Because we have so much food, we don't know what to do with it. Um, America is one of the few countries in history. Actually, we are the first country in the history of humanity where poor people are obese. And actually, obesity is worse amongst poor people because people are not starving. Everybody got that? It's a crazy reality, isn't it? Like, like we have so much. And then when you look back into the ancient world where... Um, you could end up in a job where you were feeding pigs and wishing you could eat the pig's food, right? Um, where uh, you, you could end up um, traveling and dying of starvation or lack of water, which is why um, you had, like it was actually, and it's still this way in the Middle East, it is a requirement, a religious requirement to feed strangers that are traveling and to give them coffee or to give them water if they ask. Like that's, it's this this fundamental, like, religious obligation for the Middle Eastern faiths. Uh, um, um, and, and we just, I don't understand that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand it. If I'm bored, what do I do? I eat. If I'm tired, sometimes I eat. If I'm really tired, I make coffee and I eat, and I may not drink the whole pot of coffee. My, you know, like, like, it's just a real, we do not worry about our daily bread. And so there's a whole lot of detachment here, right? There's a whole lot of removal. And, and I want to dig into this, but I think it's important to dig into it in a way that we recognize that this is more than just our next meal. Everybody with me? Um, so we'll get to that. We're going to do a little background. He said, we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And this is one of those days where the structure so far is going to make a huge difference. You learn everything about this verse from its position in the text and where it lands in the structure and what everything says around it. So um, we start out. This is our review. Our Father, which probably, by the way, it's in Greek. The Aramaic is probably Abba, Father. Right? Like most scholars sort of think that's what was said. So they're beginning prayer, Daddy God, or Daddy, or, you know, Daddy in heaven. Like this affectionate, loving name. And why do we start that way? Because we're acknowledging our relationship with God as we approach him in prayer. Um, And then we move on to petitions. Petitions aren't annoying political things that don't make a difference. Um, they are requests of God. They are us bringing our requests to God. And the first three, the, the prayer is divided into two tables, like the Ten Commandments actually are this way, where the first four commandments deal with God, and the last half are all about our re- relationship and interaction with other men or other people. Um, and so uh, we move into the petitions. The first three all have to do with God, and they sort of build on each other. Let your name be holy, or let us treat your name as holy. Let your kingship and your rule come in, you know, let your will be done in our lives. And all of these, we've talked about them, they all sort of stack one on top of the other, 
right? Like they build into, into a point to the, to the place where we're saying, look, God, I want your kingship over my life and I want your will in my life and I want to obey it and I want you to do what you desire of me. And then we have a hinge. I didn't preach on the hinge. I touched on it last week. I'm going to touch on it now because the hinge is sort of the point where the text changes. And this is important. Watch this. Um, it's not a petition. It's a hinge. It's where we go from the God stuff to the man stuff and it connects them and it connects them in more than just like, um, and got it. The, the phrase is, um, on earth as it is in heaven. And I think literally it's, um, as in heaven, so on earth. Okay. And that is the point we are talking about heaven stuff. And suddenly we start talking about earth stuff. Now, there's a desire amongst ancient scholars to turn this. Well, we'll get into that in a second. We're going to jump, jump ahead. So, as in heaven, so on earth. Now, if we take that seriously and we don't isolate it, that means that all of the lines that follow reflect on what we desire on earth is what we see in heaven. So, they are interconnected and should not be ignored. That seems a little complicated and hard to understand. But as we dig into the, the first of the petition dealing with our lives, it'll make sense. First one is, give us this day our daily bread. And it's not referring to a devotional book. It's not referring, you know, like it's, it's, there's lots of things that people have thought it meant. Um, there's a temptation to turn it into a big spiritual thing. You know, this is about Jesus. And sure, it might be a little bit. Like, there, there are a lot of different takes on it, but the way that the Greek is written, it is pretty likely it's about eating, right? Like, we, we want to pretend that the human body and the life we live has no value, but, like, I'm going to tell you, nothing seems as important as water when you're dehydrated or as food when you haven't eaten in a while, right? That's, uh, Socrates said that, the best seasoning that you can possibly give to food is hunger. Because um, then everything tastes good, including my cooking. Really quick, um, so give us this day our daily bread. This is actually derived. Um, it's a playoff of a common Jewish uh, uh, prayer line. It would be the benediction. So you would do a mealtime prayer, and you would end the prayer with, Blessed art thou, or blessed are you, O Lord, our God. King of the universe, who feeds the whole world with your goodness. You give food to all flesh. Through your goodness, food has never failed us. Oh, may it not fail us forever and ever. And, like, it's sort of a really tightened up version of that, right? And, and like, the wording plays on that, and that's part of there's a translation problem. And, and we'll get into that in a second. That's part of the reason I think that they picked the word they did. Um, so here's Matthew 6, 12. If you want to open your Bibles, it's Matthew, which is in the New Testament. Um, chapter 6, verse 12. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And it literally, the Greek, if you're going to do word for word, you know, whenever you hear somebody say, I want the word for word translation, you don't actually want that because it doesn't make sense. Like, you, you gotta, you gotta sort of translate it. You can't just do the word for word. It ends up reading like a Chinese instruction manual. Our bread, the needed, give us today, is the literal word-for-word translation. Why did I include that? Because of the word today. Today, in this sense, is an adjective. 
and it appears two times in ancient literature. This is the first time it appears, and the second time is in the book of Luke, in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. And so these two words, we have a very limited understanding of what they mean. And there's been whole books written on the topic of what does, you know, is it today? Is it this? Is it that? Um, the early church father Origen um, suggested that the word apioza, apiozius, I tried to pronounce this, I practiced it, and I just hate Greek. Um, so the word itself, like uh, Origen guessed, like the apostles probably made it up. Got it? They coined it themselves. It's like strategery. Or, or one of those, you know, where it's a word, but it's not really a word. No cap, I think, is another one that I hear all the time. I was trying to get a funny look out of Josh, but I didn't get it. Um, but based on, so what they've done, so in order to understand because there are like maybe six words that are like this, that they only appear in the New Testament, and so we kind of got to guess. And this very rare adjective, what they think it means, based on sort of the etymology, it could mean today. But it could also mean tomorrow. Right? Now, this is important. Today is the traditional translation. The most common traditional translation is, give us this day our daily bread, right? Um, But tomorrow is actually kind of a stronger word Translation is probably a stronger argument. Um, So if it's give us tomorrow our daily bread, you might stop and say, why? Right? Like, what the heck? Why would that be included this way? Like, it breaks from the Jewish, like, version of the prayer, right? It breaks from what we would traditionally see. And I'll give you, by the way, there are some that argue that it's sort of interchangeable maybe, and it could mean today or it could mean tomorrow, and it probably means both. Um, But we're going to have a look at it from this angle. So follow me here. Um, So context is where we're going to go because the gospel writers and actually ancient writers in general, they had whole schools devoted to rhetoric. Rhetoric is a bad word in our time. Right? In the ancient world, rhetoric was structuring your sentences and your phrases and your arguments to make larger points. And you see that throughout the Gospels. You see it throughout the epistles where, like, arguments are set up in, like, poetic structures, in chiasms. There are bookends. There are all kinds of stuff. And if you learn to understand those things, you start to draw out some interesting material. And it will give you additional depth. Because they don't do this accidentally. You wouldn't just sit down and write a first draft and if you misspelled something, throw the paper away. Because paper cost an awful lot of money. (laughs) And, like, it was hard to come by. And so, like, you were very careful. You would think it through. You would reflect on it. You would memorize. You would have it all in your head before you wrote it down. And so, understand this is intentional. It's all intentional. Um, so we have the Sermon on the Mount. Like, like, first off, the vast majority of history, people starve, right? So, like, give us this day our daily bread or give us tomorrow the daily bread. That's a reasonable request, right? God, please don't let me starve. Um, I, I think around here, if you go talk to some of the old-timer Montanans, I remember Emily told me about uh, a famine that came through here, uh, I don't know, quite a while ago. 
and she told me about people who were eating tumbleweeds because they were so hungry. Um, like, it's not even that long ago that people starved, right? Um, but today we don't have that. Um, so in the sermon, so like, like that's our historical context. In terms of today, or the text itself, we have the Lord's Prayer. So teach, he teaches them how to pray. He said all of this stuff. When you pray, do this. When you pray, don't do this. And now he does the Lord's Prayer. So pray like this. He gives us this format. And remember, like that format is pray about these topics Pray and cover these issues along the way. It can also be a rote prayer, right? And we're going to probably touch on that at the end here. But, like, we're supposed to talk to God about these things. And so if I'm going to stop for a moment and say, God, tomorrow, these are the worries I have about tomorrow. Or these are the things that are potential dangers or issues for me tomorrow. Um, That would be the idea there with the Lord's Prayer. Then he goes to fasting. Now, fasting is the practice of not eating in order to pursue God. So he goes from the Lord's Prayer to, hey, when you go for a long period of time not eating, don't make yourself look sad. Because if you make yourself look sad, you're just seeking the approval of everybody else. Instead, wash your face, look normal, pursue God. Because God is more important than anything else. And fasting exists because we pursue God. So that's that. Then from there he goes on. He says, listen, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, the interesting thing about that is heaven is a place where the streets are paved with gold. Um, I I live, like, I didn't understand it until I really, Montana, like, really changed my perspective on it. I've said this for years, but what do you pave roads with typically? Asphalt. Why? Because it's expensive? No, because it's worthless. And actually, it's still expensive, and that's why we have dirt, right? Because there's a lot of dirt and a lot of gravel around here, and there are some places where they don't even do that, right? Like, when it rains, you kind of go swimming, um, I think near the uh, Bob Miller's place, I, I, I went swimming in my pickup truck one day out on one of their roads over there. It was awful. Um, but if the treasures in heaven aren't like precious metals, if they're not jewels, if they're not gold, because these are the things that are worthless, what is the treasure of heaven? I'm going to suggest the real treasure of he- heaven is first intimacy with Christ. It is knowledge. It is closeness. It is connection. It is relationship with Jesus. Why? Because the greatest treasure that we can pursue in this life into the next is Christ himself. And the second is all of the people you take with you because you introduce them to Christ along the way. These are the treasures of heaven, right? They're not the comforts. They're not, you know, thinking with my stomach kinds of things. They are things over there, not things down here. Everybody with me? I'm suggesting, by the way, these connect, right? So, God, take care of my physical needs. Um, I'll pursue you even when I'm hungry. I will pursue you over anything in this world. And then we get to Matthew 6.25. Now follow me here. I'm going to read a big old chunk of this one because I'm excited about it, actually. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious with your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet the heavenly Father um, feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all of this will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, follow me here, because there's a long way, and we're going to circle back now. If God takes care of the birds of the air and feeds them, even though they don't go to work, right? And he gives them clothing clothing to the, the grass in the field, even though it doesn't work. And he says, listen, God loves you more than he loves the grass in the field and more than he loves the birds in the air, and he will feed you. He will take care of your needs. Instead, seek after the kingdom of God first. Well, that does sound a little like the fasting thing, right? Don't worry about the attention of other people. Don't worry about the esteem and how other people think you're awesome. Chase after Jesus. And or chase after the Father and relationship and intimacy with the Father. And don't worry about the things of the world. They will be here whether you like it or not, whether you accumulate them or not. Instead, look at heaven and chase after that. And then he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat because God will feed you. Seek the kingdom of God first. Now, we jump back into our prayer and we have the kingship, right? God's kingdom come. God's will being done. And we're asking for these things to happen on earth as it is in heaven. And then we're asking for our daily bread or actually our food for tomorrow. So if we tie all of this together, part of what we're doing here is we're saying, God, first I'm acknowledging this is who you are and this is what I want. I want your kingdom in my life. I want your will over me. I want to know that if I've that if I'm hungry tomorrow, it's your will. I want to know that I can trust you as my king to feed me and clothe me and protect me. I want to know that these things are true, and if I don't receive them, then your will was contrary to that, and I can still trust in it. And as long as I seek after these things, everything else is not my problem, and I don't have to worry about it. Part of what we're praying when we say your, or um, excuse me, when we're saying, give us this day our daily bread, is we're saying, God, food, I like it. I want it. But that's your deal. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do my job. 
I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to be a good steward. I'm not, this is not an out for any of that stuff. You can't say, I'm not going to work and the Lord will feed me. You will never justify that in the scriptures. Got it? You still got to go. Sorry. Um, but in all of those things, sometimes we can still end up hungry. And if that's the case, we can still trust God in the middle of it because God is still in charge, because God is still king, because God can provide or he can choose not to provide. And that is his will because we go from talking about God, his control over everything, his rule over our lives, how his name is holy in how we live. We go from all of that and then suddenly we're talking about our physical needs, which are important, but we shouldn't suddenly say, now that we're done with this heavenly stuff, let's talk about the earthly stuff. No, it's, God, if you're going to be in charge there, you're in charge here. If I one day sit at the wedding feast of the Lamb, which I hope I get to, I have faith and confidence that because Christ died for my sins, I will. If I sit there and they don't bring me a plate, I'm going to be happy to be there. I'm just going to assume it's not my time to get a plate. If that's the truth in heaven, how is it any less true now? Except that I don't see the angels around me now. I have to have faith that they're there. I don't see God directly. I don't see Christ face to face now. I have to have faith that he's there. And so when I struggle, when I suffer, when I am in these places, I can say, God, please take care of me. I don't like this. But I can also say, God, I trust you. And so what Christ is giving us here is, do not worry about our needs. This isn't just about food. It's about clothes. It's about, it's about money. It's about, it's about farming. It's about rain. It's about all of this stuff. It is about our daily needs and us saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to trust you. If I'm hungry, I'm going to trust you. If I'm not, I'm going to trust you. If, if I'm safe and if I'm not, I trust you. That is it. That is hard, isn't it? It's hard. And I think it's especially hard in our day and age where we're so good at everything, we don't need God's help. I don't have to ask for tomorrow's food because I make money and there are factories that make food for me and because that's no farm. Well, and farms, right? That's fair. Farms, ranches. My food comes from places and we got it all nailed down so I don't even have to ask. And I think that's part of the reason that Americans, that we... It becomes hard to pray. Why? Because we think about how awesome we are and how we got it nailed down. And in reality, that's missing the point. We're not asking for food because we might starve. We're asking, God, you worry about everything in my life for tomorrow. You worry about my family. You worry about my safety, my health, my everything. You're in charge. Your will be done. Instead, we're to seek God's kingdom first. We're to seek his kingship over us first, his will in our lives first. And if it's God's will, he meet our needs, he does. Um, and that all sort of like grows out of this on earth as in heaven. I'm going to tell you as we get into forgiving each other on earth as it is in heaven, guess what? That's front and center in that conversation, right? Help us to overcome temptation Heaven's 
going to be a part of that, right? Like, like all of these things fit, but we want to divorce them for some reason. And in reality, if I am in Christ and I have new life in Christ, I just haven't showed up in heaven. It's true already, but not yet. All right, there's sort of a desire sometimes to turn this into a spiritual read where we turn the daily bread into communion or we turn it into the wedding feast of the lamb or whatever. I am going to give you a little bit of this. And where I'm going to go is Deuteronomy 8, 2 to 3. I've never quoted this verse over and over again in recent months. Um, This is where, uh, for those of you all who don't know, if you want to hunt it down, I'm going to kind of summarize because I don't want to push our time too hard. Um, Deuteronomy 8 is a sermon by Moses, and he's talking to the Jewish people, and he's saying, listen, God brought you into the desert, and he let you be hungry so he could see what was inside you, what your hearts were like. Once he knew what your hearts were like, um, you were supposed to go to the promised land. But instead of pursuing God, like instead of learning the lesson that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, you worried about bread and ignored God. This prayer, and incidentally, by the way, Jesus, of course, quotes that when he's in the desert and he's hungry and he's fasted for 40 days and Satan says, turn these stones into bread. And he says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if God doesn't want me to eat right now, I ain't going to eat. Here, here, If we're praying, God, give me the bread that I'll receive tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about it. I'll let you worry about it. We're also saying, God, your will be done. If I'm hungry tomorrow, it's your will. Help me to remember that man does not live on bread alone, but by the holiness of God's name, by his kingdom and by his will. On earth as is in heaven, right? Like, let me be hungry and lean on you. Let me be hungry, but be hungry for righteousness. See, what God did was he freed them from slavery in Egypt. And then when it came time to free them from their spiritual bondage, they threw it off. When we pray this, we're praying that God would meet our needs and more so that he would be in us. That we would receive true treasure and true nourishment Water that makes us never thirsty again. Bread that satisfies every part of us forever. This is what we're really praying for. Um, His kingdom to come. So how do we apply this? So when we pray and we pray for our daily needs, we need to stop and we need to recognize that part of what we're praying for is God take care of this life. Right? Take care of the business of tomorrow. Take care of my needs. Take care of my future. Take care of my safety. Take care of my family. You're in charge. Your will be done. Take care of us. And we trust him in the process. That's hard. And it's not just about food. It's about, I mean, anybody worried about money right now? Anybody watching oil prices? Anybody watching inflation? Anybody watching unemployment? Anybody? I'm watching that stuff every day. And it's kind of miserable. You know why? Because it's all bad. And I asked a guy, I said this the other day, I asked a guy who was down visiting me from Canada if he was worried about it. And he said, no, God's in charge. He's got it. That is, give us the daily bread tomorrow, Lord. What I have today is your will. What I'll have tomorrow is your will. Help me to trust you. Um, 
we're to pray these prayers, God's desire to meet our physical needs, our, our desire for God to meet our physical needs. We're to pray them with a heart set on seeking first the kingdom of God and that we do not live on bread alone and that his will will be done. Like, like these are paramount. They're fundamental to requests for anything. God, take care of my car. God, take care of my home. God, take care of my farm. Let it rain. Let it not rain. Let it, let it not be so windy this week. Let it, you know, whatever it is that we're praying, it's God's will. Your will be done. And if we suffer in it, we cry out to him. And Abba, Daddy, God comforts us. And we trust him. We are also praying for God um, like, we're, we're praying that he would help us to have faith in this, right? There's a whole leap of faith. Um, it is kind of crazy to me how much uh, anxiety exists in our country. Like, you read about it. Like, like, people are very anxious, and they're very afraid about tomorrow. Considering we live in one of the most secure, safe places in the entire history of humanity, we worry way too much. Part of the reason I think we do that is because we don't back up and say, All right, God, I know you got it. Help me to take this leap. Help me to trust you. Um, if you want to hop over to Proverbs uh, chapter 30, this is kind of the heart of our application here. Um, and it's awesome. And you should memorize this verse. Uh, we're going to go to verse 8 and 9. Um, actually, we'll do 7, 8, and 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Um, Why am I going to this? Because I think... I have a tendency to pray for God to give me everything. Like, I, it's the Pedro thing, right? All of my wildest dreams need to come true, God. Let's see it. Um, but not that. Because, honestly, I think part of the reason we don't pray is because we're never hungry. Right? We don't pray for God to take care of our finances because we got safety nets and we got safety and everything else. One of the most annoying things I see on Facebook, I got an atheist friend I went to high school with, really nice guy, I love him to death. But every once in a while, he'll point to thing, you know, post these memes, and it's like, you know, science puts people on the moon. What did religion do? And it's like, well, uh, you're ignoring like the, well, anyway, I don't get into that argument. But the idea is, look, we can do this with science. We got to the moon. We're going to end up on Mars. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Science is taking care of us. What do we need God for? And in reality, if we're too full, if we have too much, if abundance is overpowering us, we don't need God. And that's what the proverb is saying. God, don't give me too much or I'll forget you. I'll stop living to make your name hallowed in this world. I will stop living in a way that people look at me and say, oh, wow, look at that guy. His God must be amazing. I'll stop doing that. But he's also saying, God, don't let me have too little, because if I have too little, I might steal, I might do this. But at the center of it is, God, 
when it comes to my needs, just draw me close to you. That's all I care about. When it comes to my feeding, my, my clothes, my everything, just do whatever it takes to make me closer to you. It almost sounds like seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you, doesn't it? The last thing um, I would argue as it relates to this, if I pray, give me this day, or give me tomorrow, give me next week, the food I need. I should also be aware that there are people all around me who are praying the same prayer, and not all of them have it. And if I'm going to be an instrument in God's hand, then it might be my responsibility to not stock up and build extra barns, but to feed the people around me and to be Christ to them, to use the talents and the resources that God has given me to be Christ to others through my like solid action and beyond my solid action with my word and my attitude and my heart so that in my handling of my daily bread and my daily clothing and my daily housing, I glorify God. I make his name holy. I act as though he's my king and I try to help his will be done through my actions. It's almost like they're connected. To pray... God, make sure I've got food tomorrow. Make sure I don't have to worry about this. I'll trust you. Is also to trust that God will give you direction and prompting with the resources he's given you to bless others. None of this is easy. Right? None of it. And it's even a little confusing. I'm sure that I've got a few people who are like, I still don't know what Eric's talking about. I will tell you the, the bottom line of it. As you pray every day, Every day when you pray, ask God to take care of tomorrow so you don't have to worry about it. When you find your mind drifting into worrying about tomorrow, pray that God take care of it and pray that he would help you trust him. Wow. And I think sometimes God puts those things in us because we need to pray and ask for help to trust him. And having had our needs met by God, we can then turn around and say, how do I take my abundance and meet the needs of others? How do I be the hands of Jesus in the lives of those around me? My challenge to you this week is to pray that every day. Every day. Pray, God, take care of tomorrow. Help me to trust you. Help me to take these things into the world and bless others with them. So we're going to close in prayer and I'll let you go. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that we as people who don't have to worry about our daily bread today, tomorrow, next week, we don't have to worry about these things, Lord. We, we, we don't have to worry. Lord God, you've blessed us so much, and I pray that rather than seeing it as blessing that is treasures in this world, that we see it as an opportunity to accumulate treasure in heaven, intimacy with you by, by doing your work, by bringing the gospel to people through our words and through our like concrete, obvious shows of grace. And I pray, Lord God, that give us this day our daily bread would be a prayer of a prayer of life-changing significance every time we pray it. There would be a reminder and a leap of faith to trust you, that our anxieties would be cast on to you as we pray. Pray, Lord God, that you would take care of our physical needs. And, Lord God, that they would not distract us from the spiritual needs. Help us to remember we don't live on bread alone. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good Sunday, guys.